Hello friends and welcome to Book Talk. I'm your host Maddie Eddy and I am so excited to have you here today as I talk to Elizabeth Lohem about her new novel, Beauty Reborn. Elizabeth, do you want to introduce yourself and give us a fun fact about you? All right. My name is Elizabeth Loam. I usually go by Liz. Um, I grew up in a really small farm town in Utah where there were more cows than people. Uh, since then, I've lived in Hong Kong briefly, which had oh, 7 million people. And then I have settled close to Denver. Um, so I have left behind the small town life to live in big cities I don't love it, to be honest. <laughs> I was going to ask, which one are you preferring? <laughs> yeah, I, th- there is a lot of convenience to having a lot of people in a lot of stores. I yes. enjoy that. I enjoy having big libraries accessible and being able to just get whatever I need within a short drive. That is very nice. But I miss some of the small town feel. Especially, I mean, I went to a really small school. My class was only six kids, and we were the biggest class that they had seen in, like, a decade. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, and, you know, I was friends with everybody. I knew everybody in town. There's there's pros and cons to both, and I enjoy what I have, but sometimes I miss where I grew up. Um, A fun fact about myself beyond some of the things I just said is I, I lived in Hong Kong briefly, and I speak Chinese. Um, I speak Cantonese, although I'm working on Mandarin, and I've lost enough of my Cantonese that they're kind of neck and neck now. Oh, okay. So did you learn Chinese, well, in Hong Kong? Did you learn it before? Yeah, so I um, I served a volunteer mission for my church. So before I left, they gave me some training in Cantonese. And then most of it I picked up while I lived in Hong Kong when I was out daily talking to people and sort of living in the language. Right. It's, it's really different learning a language and then actually going to use it. Yes. (laughs) Yes. This is not what I learned. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The first couple of weeks that I was over there, I kept thinking everything sounds different. (laughs) Nothing (laughs) sounds like my books made it sound like it would. Well, especially uh, Cantonese, I mean, Mandarin is the most common form of Chinese. So there are lots of resources for learning Mandarin. There are very few resources for learning Cantonese. So I was already kind of limited there. Um, It's it's very much an on the job learning. I just had to get into it and talk to people and, you know, I came to love it. And by the time I went home, I could speak it. And then I went home. (laughs) (laughs) And now you're just wanting to relearn like for fun. Yes. I, well, I would love to keep it up because I do. I think it's a beautiful language. Yes. And just in general, I'm very much in favor of learning new things and language in particular is an interest of mine. I mean, I, I work in the spoken word or the written word right. and I also really like the spoken word. So yeah, for, for personal edification. <laughs> I, I wish I could learn a second language. I took French for three years in high school and I can sing jingle bells and that's about it (laughs) hey that's still something that's still impressive (laughs) so you know whip that out every Christmas (laughs) yeah um I took Spanish several times through school and basically all I've got is la biblioteca I can I can find a library (laughs) if I'm somewhere that speaks Spanish that's it that's all I got (laughs) 
Well, that's an important thing to find, right? That's why we're going. <laughs> that's all I care about. No matter where I am, where's the library? <laughs> right. uh, I love it. All right. Hey, Elizabeth. Um, we're going to talk about your new book, uh, Beauty Reborn. Um, so for anyone that hasn't read it yet, do you want to give a brief synopsis for us? I would love to. Um, so after a fateful kiss at a party, Beauty is swept away by Stefan's charm, his wit, and his passionate declarations of love, but she doesn't see the truth of Stefan's intentions until it's too late. She then locks away the secret of Stefan's abuse, and when her father emerges from the enchanted forest with a stolen rose in his hand and the tail of a vicious beast on his breath, Beauty seizes the chance to run as far from Stefan as possible. She has some experience with beasts after all. Certainly the one in the forest couldn't be any worse than the one she's already encountered. So this is a story about a girl who is burned by one beast and winds up finding a second chance at love with another. It's a story about healing and about being true to yourself um, and finding ways to move on after trauma and be able to build a good life from one that has been horribly um, taken off track. So ultimately, it's a story of hope and love um, and a heroic quest to, for one girl to save herself. And it's a Beauty and the Beast retelling. Yes. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So we will get more into kind of the heaviness of this book, but we're going to start out kind of light. Um, so fairy tale remakes are one of my favorite things. They have been since I was little and... Um, I can't pass one up. So yours was an immediate grab off the shelf for me. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> so my question is, I don't know if everyone is like me. Um, when did your love for fairy tales begin? Do you remember? I do. Um, it started really young. So fun fact, when I was when I was young and growing up, I didn't like Disney movies. Um, <laughs> there were there were a couple that I latched onto a little bit later, mainly being like Pocahontas. Yeah, my mom had to stop me from jumping off of furniture <laughs> and pretending that it was waterfalls. Uh, but but Beauty and the Beast, um, Sleeping Beauty, you know, their their fairy tale retellings generally scared me. I didn't like to watch them because I was either scared of the beast or scared of the dragon or, you know, whatever it was. Right. So my love of fairy tales um, began when I was, I think I was close to 10 thereabouts. My grandmother um, really loved fairy tales. She grew up reading Grimm Brothers and Hans Christian yeah. Andersen. And so for Christmas, she gave me a book of illustrated fairy tales there. I mean, it, it was for kids. So they were told pretty simply but they were all true to the original fairy tales that they were taken from. And so, you know, this had Rapunzel and the Emperor's New Clothes and Beauty and the Beast, um, The Little Mermaid. It just it just had a wide collection. And I loved them so much. I fell in love. It was an illustrated collection. So I fell in love with the art and I also fell in yeah. love with the stories. And I just thought it was really cool because even the fairy tales that I thought I was familiar with, like Beauty and the Beast, where, you know, at that time, all I knew was the Disney movie. And I thought that I yeah. didn't really like the story. Reading it in this book, it made it new to me. And I was like, oh, I like this version. Um, give it a few years. I came to love the Disney version as well. <laughs> but, <laughs> but this was where my love of fairy tales started. And from here, I branched out. I started looking for fairy tale books at my library. Um, I found Gail Carson Levine. 
She wrote Elle Enchanted and Fairest yeah. and a couple of others. I loved every book of hers that I found. I latched onto her really hard. <laughs> and then some, some other authors that just my librarians recommended. And I found that I just loved fairy tales. I loved the whimsy in them. I loved this feeling that magic is just kind of present and we don't question it. And I loved that they all seemed to have really interesting, quirky stories that made me think. So I carried that love onward from there. Awesome. I love that. I love that your grandma bought you an illustrated. I still have it. It's right over there on my bookshelf. Um, after I got married, I made my mom go dig it out. I was like, I don't care where it is in the house or storage. I need you to find this book for me. And she did. Oh my God. I love that. That's there's, I think they're at Barnes and Noble that they have like the collection of like the Grimm's brothers in the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales. And like, I, they're so expensive. But like one day I'm going to splurge and buy them. <laughs> because I, as an adult, stories are amazing. They are. And they're, they're really fascinating to read. And I do love seeing different versions. Um, I like knowing what the original is. And then I like seeing different interpretations. But as an adult, um, my grandma actually gave me her thick, you know, very, very nice hardbound copies. She's got one for Grimm fairy tales and then one for Hans Christian Andersen. They're big, thick boys that sit on my shelf. Um, not super easy to read <laughs> like because no. you know, they're just really nice books, but the stories are fascinating and I love them and I love having those on my shelf. Yes. Oh, it's so interesting too. Cause I mean, you think they told fairy tales like to teach lessons and so I think a lot of people think of like Disney being the original where Disney's actually like a remake in its own right. Yes, I've oh, I've okay. had since releasing Beauty Reborn, I've had several people comment to me things along the lines of, oh, you know, it's so interesting because in the original Gaston does this and then in your book, Stefan does this. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, your your point is correct. Uh, Beauty and the Beast just didn't originate with Disney. <laughs> right. Like, they don't get the credit for this one. Nope. They do get credit for their own story, which is fabulous. I, I love the animated yeah. movie. I enjoy the live action remake. They like they have added significantly <laughs> yeah, to this story, and I'm grateful for them. They're just not the original. <laughs> right. Okay, so out of all of the fairy tales, what made you choose Beauty and the Beast for your remake? So this one, um, I told you about when I started to love fairy tales in general. Even from yeah. there, Beauty and the Beast kind of won out for me. I loved all of these stories, but there was something about Beauty and the Beast that I just loved more. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it's funny, too, because in those first couple of years of seeking out fairy tale retellings, I didn't find a lot of Beauty and the Beast retellings. Really, yeah. the only one that I knew was the Disney movie. Mostly for books, I was finding Cinderella was a really common one. I was finding a lot of Snow <laughs> yeah. White. Um, and, I, and I liked those stories, but something about Beauty and the Beast always spoke to me. And I think it's just that, number one, I'm a romantic. So I just, I loved that this is just 100% a love story. Um, right. And I also loved that it's a love story about being able to appreciate who people really are, no matter what they look like. Um, and I think that spoke to me because growing up, I had some circumstances that were not the best. And for me personally, I think this story spoke to the idea that there would be people who would see me and appreciate me beyond outward circumstances. Um, yeah. I wasn't worried about being ugly, like 
like having an ugly face, but I was worried about being judged on first impression or being judged yeah. for circumstances. And yeah. I think that Beauty and the Beast, you know, uses an ugliness metaphor to teach about seeing to people's inner selves. And that has always appealed to me. So my whole life, I've known that I wanted to tell my own version of Beauty and the Beast. It was just a matter of finding the story that I wanted to tell. Awesome. I love that. And I was thinking as you were talking, and I, a lot of the, we'll go with Disney fairy tales, it's always that like love at first sight or like, and so it's Beauty and the Beast is the only one I can think of that it's like, it's a slow love. Like, yes, exactly. More realistic love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there, there are a lot of fairy tales where it's very much just, okay, they're in love now. Um, I yeah. This is going to be ironic when I say this, because <laughs> I think that I'm doing a Rapunzel retelling next. But Ooh. growing up, I never liked Rapunzel. <laughs> because it just felt like, okay, you have a girl in a tower, and then a prince finds her. And it's like, we're in love now. And we're just going to get married. I That that aspect of fairy tales, I just kind of always rolled my eyes at. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's okay. I embrace it as part of the tradition of fairy tales. I think that, you know, it's, it's fun as long as we can recognize that uh, a true relationship <laughs> in order to be healthy needs to be more than, you know, this, this idea of love at first sight. It needs to be really understanding a person and who they are inside, which takes time. Yes. Perfect. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so when you write a fairy tale, um, obviously working from either Hans Christian Andersen, Grimm Brothers, or Disney, whatever version you want to pick, how do you pick and choose like what elements of your story you want to stay true to or what to change or what to cut out? What's that process like? Um, so this is my first published book. So I've really only put this, <laughs> you know, to the test once. I have, I've written a few other stories that are fairy tale retellings that haven't been published. So for me, first of all, it always originates with the original story. Um, and I, I do that for a couple of reasons. Number one is that I don't want to be attacked for copyright infringement. Right. <laughs> so like, uh, you know, there people drawing parallels between my story and Disney's. I would hope that those are just both of us paralleling the original story. Um, right. I don't, I don't try to take notes from anything other than the original. And then in terms of what to change and what to keep, it's mostly just personal preference. Um, I sit down with that original story and, you know, first of all, there will be whatever element drew me to it to begin with. So for Beauty and the Beast in that original illustrated book that I had, one of the things that I loved from the first time I read it was the fact that in the original story, the Beast proposes every night. Um, yes. So yeah, so for anyone who isn't familiar with the original fairy tale, Beauty has, and the original fairy tale was French, so <laughs> I can't remember if her name actually is Belle or not. The version that I have that obviously had a translated story, they called her Beauty, um, and I decided to keep that. Beauty has several siblings, and her father does steal a rose from the Beast Garden, and then she goes to live with the Beast um, because she was the one who asked for a rose. And so she sees it as her debt to pay off. And while she's there, the beast is a perfect gentleman. Um, he's, he's incredibly nice. 
he lets her do whatever she wants, have her whole run of the castle. They have, you know, feasts together every night. And at the end of every night, he asks her to marry him. And she always says no. And then, you know, the next night they have dinner together again. He asks again. She says no. And this just continues until she is finally able to visit home. Um, and then while she's home, she has this vision of the beast dying back at his castle. And so she rushes back and confesses her love and, you know, breaks the spell. And it turns out he's a prince. So from that original story, two of the elements that I really liked was I loved this idea that he's just proposing every single day yeah. and she's saying no. And then he's coming <laughs> back to propose the next day. That that appealed to me because as a kid, um, having never been in love or anything, all I have to go off of is like Hollywood, right? Right. All I have to go off of is the portrayal of what romance is and what relationships are like. And for me, I had always thought that a proposal was make it or break it. Like, you know, a proposal is a binary decision. You either say yes or you say no. And from then on, you either get married or the relationship ends. Right. Like you don't yeah, talk to like, each other ever again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if you were to turn down someone's proposal, then they would be like, okay, well, relationship over. We're not getting married. Goodbye. <laughs> and then you would just go on. And so I was just really, really intrigued by this idea of a relationship where you could have repeated proposals <laughs> and then still keep going. And I was like, what would, what would cause that? Like what would cause him to persist? What would cause her to keep saying no? Like she obviously likes him because in the end she comes back and confesses her love. Why did she keep saying no? And that just, you know, as, as a young child that just stewed in my brain and I tried to think of answers to that. And in my final version, when I did finally sit down and write the book, um, I put a lot of effort into both sides of that. Uh, why would he be repeatedly asking to, her to marry him? Uh, especially because there, there are caveats, right? Like he just keeps pressing her to marry him without any regard for her input, then he's a terrible person and we don't want her to marry him. Like right. you know, there, there's a discussion about consent here and about respecting people's answers. So I was like, okay, what would the circumstances be for him to genuinely be a good person, but also persist in that? And then on the flip side, what would her circumstances be to genuinely like him and be interested in him, but to keep saying no? Um, so exploring that was really fun for me and helped to evolve a lot of the story. And then the other big element that I decided to keep was the fact that the beast was a gentleman. Um, yeah. I really loved in the original that he was always kind. A lot of retellings that I've read have gone you know, the route that Disney went, which is totally fine. The idea that the beast is not just beastly on the outside, but also beastly within. Yeah. Uh, temper problems are very common, but also just, you know, the bad boy trope, things like that. They're, right. they're all very strong in most of the retellings that I read nowadays, like Hunted or um, Cruel Beauty, books like this. And I, that's, that's totally a valid retelling uh, to do. It just wasn't the one that I wanted to do. I really liked the idea of someone who is genuinely a good person down to his core. And the only reason that you would be off put from him is the fact that he looks like a monster, which yes. is, is a big deal. Um, so that was how I decided what to keep was just those two elements really appealed to me. And then from there on out, I built my story around that and any other elements that just kind of naturally fell into place like Beauty's family, you know, keeping her siblings and stuff. Right. That just seemed to naturally fall into place. It worked for her conflict. It worked for, you know, supporting the story that I had built. And then there were other things 
like uh, some of the specifics about her dad at the castle um, and some of the specifics about her sisters, things like that fell by the wayside or I decided to cut them out because there were things that I wanted to do that I felt like would serve my story better. Right. I was like, we're going to do a different route um, because I think that this will be more interesting for the story that I'm telling. Awesome. Okay. I want to go back for just a second when you Mm. talked about the beast. Um, so I have read a ton, a ton of fairy tale remakes. And <laughs> I, your beast was so different, like in a, a good refreshing way, not like, oh, I don't know. But I love that he was almost shy, which I feel like is something we, I haven't seen before. Cause usually it's like you hide in the shadows and it's like you said, like that mystery, mysterious bad boy, like he's angry type thing but I love that it was that like she sought him out and like sat and waited on the stairs for him (laughs) (laughs) but but that like he just he would talk to her but like that don't look at me and it had me I was talking to my sister and was like I just want to know what he looks like like I don't know she's went for like (laughs) the stereotypical like beast like you know because some people like describe him a little bit differently or and so I just like I was on the edge of my seat that it's like, is he going to show up? What does he look like? (laughs) So it was just, it was so different, but in a good way that like, it felt brand new. And like, I hadn't read the story a million times before. Like it threw in an unpredictable um, side to it, but I, I absolutely loved it. And then it was that huge when you finally get to see him and it's like, you almost like take a big breath and like read on. It's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Well, first of all, everything you're saying makes me so happy because this is all, <laughs> these are all of the feelings that I wanted to create. <laughs> you're, yes, you're making my writer heart so happy having the reader response that I hoped for. Good. Yeah, but I did love him, so I had to throw that in. He's like, oh, I loved him. We had to talk about him for a second. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I I love him, too. Um, he is probably my favorite, I mean, definitely my favorite love interest character that I've ever written. Um, part of that is because I did, I took a little bit of loose inspiration for him from my husband, so I'm very oh, biased. Love it. <laughs> Um, well, and, and that happened naturally because when I was writing this story, beauty came from loose inspiration from me. Um, a lot yeah. of her circumstances and some of her challenges and stuff, I was basing yeah. loosely on things that I've experienced. And so she took on some of my attributes and then, of course, grew into some of her own as well. So when I was crafting this beast that would be a good complement for my yeah. beauty, he just wound up taking on some of the attributes of my husband. <laughs> and so um, I love it. Yeah. And it, they work so well together. Like it's a genuine, cause I feel like in some books or even some movies that it's like, they don't fit. Like that's not going to last. <laughs> right. Um, well, and for romance, I, my favorite romances are always the ones where I can see why both characters make each other better. You know, yeah, definitely. Yes. Drawing out strengths. Yeah. Yes. And I feel how that it, that's how it is in real life. That it's like, you're different, but you make each other better or want to be better. Like you compliment and like, and are different in good ways. 
Right. Well, and that's the hope is that, you know, in finding a life partner, <laughs> the hope is that you can find someone who complements your strengths and also can cover some of your weaknesses yes. and help you with some of your weaknesses, because that's what makes it a real partnership. Um, right. It makes you better together. Yes, definitely. All right. So sticking on the topic of our beast, let's talk about his curse, because that was uh, one of my favorites. It was all my favorite part, but I did love, <laughs> I very love kind. the explanation that we got at the end. So without giving away too terribly much, um, where did you get your inspiration for his curse? Like, how did you work through all the details that the Blue Fairy <laughs> reveals to us? Because that was so intriguing for me, this little fairy that kept appearing and kind of slowly explained wishes and wish granting. So how did that all come about? <laughs> right. Um, okay. So doing this without too many spoilers. Right. <laughs> We're um, going to try, guys. <laughs> yes. The I would say the biggest element of that came from that idea of the proposals. Um, when, when I was first sitting down with this idea and I needed a beast who could genuinely be a good person but still keep proposing to a girl who's saying no. Um, that that was sort of the origin of his curse was I looked at that point and I went, okay, what are the factors that would make this realistic, keeping him a good guy and also keeping the proposals? And then I sort of worked outward from there. Um, and there were a couple of elements that were, you know, specific decisions that I made like, okay, well, he's got this enchanted castle that she spends all this time in and stuff. So is he a real prince or did he just, you know, is this, is this an element of the curse that he was given his castle and everything? So I had to make a decision there. Um, the, what makes him propose? I had to make a decision there. How did his curse originate? I had to make a decision. And I did know one thing that I knew going in was that I didn't want it to be a random event. I didn't want it to be that he had just like, un well, not to say that the original or some of the interpretations are random. I guess that's the wrong word. But I didn't want it to be that he happened to meet a sorceress or a fairy right. or an enchant enchantress in disguise. And he had one bad meeting, you know, like was, yes. was selfish or said the wrong thing and then got cursed for it. I not that there's anything wrong with that angle. It just wasn't the one that I wanted to take. I prefer when characters are a little bit more responsible for their own decisions and their own situations, yeah. mostly because, you know, that's how I felt in my own life is usually <laughs> like I messed up and I've got to fix it. And I yeah. like exploring that. So I also wanted to look at his origin and see, okay, well, you know, I, I have this really good person here, but good people make mistakes. So yes. what would have happened that would have put him into these circumstances? And considering all of those decisions together is what kind of brought about the, the final result. Also, I guess, yeah, one of those decisions was that I decided I didn't want to do a sorceress or an enchantress. I wanted to do fairies. Um, I and that was fairies, just, so oh, I good. was so excited. <laughs> Me too. Well, that, I was like, I'm writing a fairy tale and I've always had a soft spot for fairies and I love all the different incarnations of them that I've ever yeah. seen. Um, and I feel like there's just so much more that can be tapped into. And so I was just like, this is a fairy tale and it's my book. I get to do what I want. I'm putting in fairies. So I did. I loved it. And I love that she like, we got to see her 
personality. It wasn't just like this magical fairy appeared and like granted a wish. You're like, you know what I mean? Like we get to see her, um, like when Beauty reads her the fairy tale. Um, like I love that part. Like, oh, she's a fairy and she loves fairy tales. This is magical. <laughs> that scene was so fun to write. That was one of my favorites to write. Mm-hmm. Well, that was something else. I didn't just want, you know, whatever the source of this magic was. I didn't just want it to show up at the end. I didn't want to have the entire book go by. And then at the end, it's like, oh, okay, the curse is broken. And now we have out of nowhere, whatever magical being said it. I wanted her to be an element throughout the story. So that also influenced decisions along the way. Yeah. Well, and she refers to him and it takes you a second to realize that she's talking about the beast. Yes. It took me a second. I don't know if everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it is, I mean, it's, it's meant to be veiled, but not very thickly. Like, yeah, it's like, I think that's, I don't know. Yes. That exactly that response. I was right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. But I did, I did love her. And it made me wonder too, like if she just, I don't want to say hung out, (laughs) lived in that forest because she had granted somebody's wish. So, like, do you think she would move on to, like, the next wish maker? Like, the next person that makes a wish? Like, does she always stick around or... Um, yeah, this this isn't directly explained in the story because I didn't get a chance, but I don't consider it a spoiler. She does stick with whoever's wish she has granted. So I love that. Yep. In fact, and I feel bad he's always moving around. But I do, yes. I love that, that it's like, what, making sure everything's okay. And I, I love it. <laughs> well, and uh, I mean, nothing is in writing yet, but I am hoping to be able to do a sequel to this book. And I will say that if that is able to go through, if that's able to happen, I am hoping to delve more into fairy culture and see more of the fairies in the sequel. So cross your fingers if that's something that you like. <laughs> I am crossing fingers, toes, all of it. I need that book. Perfect. <laughs> <be> <laughs> okay. Um, so this book, um, we're going to get into our, kind of our hard question here, our, our serious question, I guess. Um, this book was very different for a couple of reasons. I loved that it's more beauty's story than the beasts. Um, it's kind of her journey. I feel, but I feel like it's, he's in it, but it's her story. Kind of like you talked about at the beginning, um, of healing and all that. Um, but it was, it's kind of hard to read. It brings out a lot of emotions in Uh, I cried a few times, (laughs) Um, but she is a victim of sexual assault. Um, And so that's kind of something she, she's working through that. So when you're writing a story, because fairy tales typically kind of, or traditionally, I guess, have that, a heavier theme in them. Um, So what made you, um, or what led you to, picking this is her her story and her journey of healing from that right so this is really straightforward um i i mentioned that beauty is based on myself and this is one aspect i'm a sexual abuse survivor and for years as a writer i kept writing 
little stories, um, short stories, short screenplays that delved into trauma and, uh, you know, kind of gave me a place to explore my own PTSD symptoms and things that I experienced in my life. And they always felt super, super raw. And they always felt, you know, like it, it was therapeutic for me, but it wasn't something that I wanted to release into the world. So for years, I just had this idea in my head that someday I would love to write a book that had a main character who, you know, had experienced sexual trauma and then was on the journey of recovering from it because this was something that I wanted to be able to explore. And as a, as a sexual abuse survivor, I wanted to be able to help other people um, who might be in a situation like that. And even people who haven't experienced anything like that, you know, you have family members and friends who find out that their family member or friend has had a traumatic experience like this. And sometimes they don't know how to respond. Um, It's, you know, it's, it's a difficult conversation to have. It's a difficult topic. So I wanted to be able to write something that would be, you know, an open discussion on the idea. And I just, I just kind of had that in the back of my mind for years. And like I said, I tried a couple of times and it always felt too raw. And so I was like, that's okay. We'll put that in a drawer. We'll come back to it later. Um, And then, you know, simultaneously for years, I also had this idea that I wanted to write a Beauty and the Beast story. I just didn't know what yet. And so one day the the two ideas just collided. um, And I thought about, okay, well, what if I have a Beauty and the Beast retelling where Beauty chooses to live at the castle because she's trying to escape this trauma that has happened to her. And if I have that kind-hearted beast who is able to help her on this healing journey, um, what would that look like? And so as soon as those ideas came together for me, it just, it resonated like all the way down to my bones. I just thought this is a story that I really want to tell. Um, fun fact, I actually, I wrote the first draft in six days, which is, Holy cow. Uh, yeah, it's unparalleled the fastest that I've ever written any novel. And it was, that first draft was only a hundred pages, but it, it had all of the bones of the story that still exist today. Um, right. not, not a ton changed at the heart of the story. And I think it's just because, like I said, for years I was waiting to tell a story and then this one finally came into being. So yeah, that was how I commanded to be told. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that was how I decided on this specific issue to discuss um, was my own experience. And Beauty's experience does not align with mine. Um, right. It's more that I just took inspiration from my own emotions and some yeah. of my own experiences. Her story is uniquely hers. Um, so I some, sometimes people get nervous when they're talking to me about my book. They're like, I don't want to bring anything up for you. And I'm like, it's okay. I mean, first of all, I'm the one who put the story out in the world. You can talk to me. But also beauty's situation is completely different from mine. It's just that we share, you know, this emotional yeah. foundation. Yes. I think I was so nervous for that same reason. Like, I don't know if she wants to talk to us, but she wrote the book. So <laughs> yes, I did. I, I wrote the book. I released it. <laughs> But it is very, very true um, and very accurate, I feel like, because I, I do a lot of reading after my kids go to sleep and I read in my bed. <laughs> and so that's, I kept getting that, like, she's, like, something's, something's happened. And so I was talking to my husband. He's like, I don't know, hon. I'm like, I'm pretty sure, like, this is adding up in my brain. Like, 
you know what I mean? Like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I don't know, books are an amazing way to show empathy and sympathy or show kind of what people go through during traumatic events or the recovery process, because I feel like it is so, so accurate <laughs> um, to those feelings, um, the anxiety and um, the shadow, his shadow always. And that was like, oh my gosh, I totally like, I totally get that. Like that haunting feeling almost that she gets kind of throughout the story. Um, well, yeah, so- and those, those examples are all, I mean, that was what I was drawing directly from my own life is that yeah. idea of the moments where she's feeling very depressed, where she's struggling with anxiety in particular. Um, hopefully this isn't too big of a spoiler, but the fact that Beast proposes is triggering for her yes. because that, that specific action reminds her of things in the past. Um, right. And so her, her moments where she's feeling um, flashbacks and where she's feeling directly triggered by something and it raises her anxiety. All of those moments were directly drawn from my own experience, even though the circumstances and the details are different. You know, her, her panic attacks come directly from me experiencing panic attacks, her high anxiety. It's my high anxiety, um, her struggles with self-worth, their questions and ideas that I've asked myself or that I've struggled with. Um, and mostly I did that because I really wanted things to be authentic on the page. Um, I, you know, this is a hard thing, but people who've experienced it and people who want to know how to talk to friends and family who've experienced it, you know, we all deserve authenticity. So I wanted to bring that to the table, even though everyone's circumstances are different and the details will always differ. Um, if, if I could go on this for a minute and go on a slight tangent. Yes, absolutely. Um, So I, it, it wasn't until like my, my abuse happened younger than beauty. It wasn't until I was 18 and I was out on my own that I finally went to a therapist and was working through things in my life. Mm-hmm. And while I was at college around the same time, um, I took a young adult literature class and my teacher assigned us the book speak by Laurie Hall Sanderson. Right. Which is, that's, I mean, that's a hefty book, that one, yeah. but it was the first time that I had ever read a novel that addressed this issue at all. And it was an interesting experience for me because reading it kind of opened my eyes. It was kind of like, wait, we're allowed to talk about this? Like, yes, uh, that that had never occurred to me before. You know, when I was a teenager and I was actively struggling with things and actively going through things, I had never encountered any books that discussed it. I never encountered any stories that were about heroines who had gone through something like I had. Um, and when I was reading this book in college, I, I mean, I loved it. I loved it. But also I was a little mad. I was like, where was this, you know, six years ago or whatever. Um, and so I was just, you know, the book existed. I just didn't run into it. So that was another consideration that I took while writing this book was just that I, I want more novels in the world that, you know, where we're authentically discussing hard things that can help people. Um, so I, my, my partially, my hope is that this story could be the resource for a struggling teenager that I wish I would have had, especially, I mean, this is a fantasy book. And when I was growing up, most of what I read was fantasy. I just have always loved magic and, uh, fantastic creatures 
and fairy tales, all of it. And so it was really important for me to be able to discuss a real life challenging topic like this in a fantasy setting, because as a teenager, this is the book that I would have wanted to read. And I hope that I'm able to offer that to another teenager that it might help. I love that. So is this something, I mean, not this specific event, um, but well, is this something you'll continue to do in your novels is address kind of these taboo, I guess, type topics of or struggles that people go through that we kind of feel like we're not allowed to talk about or, you know. I honestly don't know. Um, it will it will depend a lot on if I have inspiration for one. Like right. I said, this one sat in my brain for a lot of years before I finally found the story there. So I would definitely do it. Like if, you know, if I had a story idea that appealed to me that right. was about any kind of heavy topic at all, um, I would 100% be willing to write that story and dive in. Um, mm, for most things, I would hope that it's something that I have personal experience with. I, yeah. I would be a little bit more hesitant to approach hard things that I don't have any personal experience in. Um, although I do think there's a lot to be said for research and sensitivity readers and the kind of resources that we have. Yeah. So it would just depend on the the idea and if I had the motivation for it. I don't know that I will be doing this in every book. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I probably won't. Some of the books that I've written off to the side that aren't published yet are just kind of young adult fantasy that are just for fun. And I think that those are useful books as well. You know, yes. sometimes, sometimes we just want a light, fun story that reminds us that life is enjoyable. I think there's a lot of purpose in that. And then sometimes we need a book that talks about something really hard that can help us. And there's purpose in that too. So yeah. I would like to think that my career will include both of those moving forward. Okay. I love it. Okay. We're going to backtrack just like a half a step here. <laughs> um, so when you are writing these more sensitive scenes, like her flashbacks um, or when she has those big kind of anxiety moments, um, how do you go about writing those sections? Does it usually take you longer? Um, her, I don't know. I'm just so curious about it all. Um, well, first of all, <laughs> it, it does take me a little bit longer. Um, any, any scenes that I'm writing that are really heavy into especially because those inner emotions like that, usually the scene is all happening inside the character. Um, when yeah. I'm writing a dialogue, usually goes pretty quickly, conversations between characters. Anytime that I'm just in the character's mind and we're just sitting with their thoughts and everything, that usually takes me more time and more effort. Right. Um, in terms of how, <laughs> how I was able to capture it or sit down, like I said, a lot of it was just my own experience. And so, I mean, sometimes there are lines in the book that are even direct thoughts that I had at one point or another. Um, like there's a scene in the book where Beauty's sitting in the beast garden and there's a bird, there's a baby bird that is kind of in trouble and yeah. she's wondering whether to help or not. Um, I That did not happen specifically to me, but... I grew up out in farmland, as I said, with okay. birds and cats and all of that. My grandma always fed the birds. And we also had 
cats running around. And so <laughs> there were multiple times growing up where I would see one of my cats just, you know, do a normal cat thing and kill a bird. And <laughs> while I was struggling with things that I didn't even know how to put into words, seeing things like that had a big emotional impact on me. Um, so when I was writing this book and I knew that I needed to have Beauty's inner thoughts about what she's going through, I looked for things outside of her that would reflect on those feelings because that's what I noticed in my own life was that, you know, I would see things happen to birds or to other people or whatever, but I would see things in the outside world that reflected what I was feeling. Um, and they were the moments that caused me inner reflection on what I was feeling. And so I tried to parallel that when I was writing and that was kind of the process of crafting a scene like that is, okay, what is the outside factor that's going to make beauty look inward? Um, right. And you mentioned earlier, Stefan's ghost, you know, how she just feels like she's being haunted and stuff. And I right. think that that is a very common aspect of PTSD. You feel like you're haunted. There's this thing you're carrying that's always just right outside your peripheral vision. And there are certain things that will trigger it and bring it a little more into focus. And so I just, as I was crafting the novel, looked for what elements would bring that out. Um, and then from there, I just let the scene happen and refined it through editing and tried to be true to what beauty would be feeling. Um, one big factor in all of that was that I never wanted to be graphic. I, yeah, yeah at, personally, Again, I feel like there's a caveat with everything I say. I'm sorry. No, um, you're fine. There are so many books in the world, and I love that. I think that it's wonderful that we have a book for everyone. And there are books that discuss sexual assault, and they do it in very uh, on-the-page, raw ways. Um, yeah. I have... I have started to read a couple and I've never made it through any of them. <laughs> um, yeah. I think the the heaviest book that I've ever read on this topic is Speak. And I would say that Speak is handled very delicately. Um, I that I can't I can't recommend that novel enough. I really do enjoy it. Um, but in terms of what I've read addressing this topic, that one's probably the heaviest. It's a contemporary and it's really the only issue that the book deals with. There are other books that I've tried to read that have been more graphic in their approach. And for me, it's too triggering. It's, you know, it yeah. rather than opening a space where I feel like I can access healing and I can kind of explore what happened to me in a way that's healthy, it just sort of puts me back in that situation and just freaks me out, honestly. Yes. So when I was sitting down to write this book, I was like, for me personally, for my own safety and for the story that I want to tell... I want this to very much be an exploration of what beauty is feeling rather than the exact event that beauty went through. Um, right from the start, I wanted it to be that any of the actual details of what happened to her would be very light and yes. not graphic and, you know, as, as much off the page as I could make it. Um, some people have commented on that and have said that they think it was a mistake and that I should have, you know, that I had a good start and I opened a conversation into something interesting, but I didn't bring it home and I should have done more. And I, for them, there are, there are novels that exist that will, mm. will address it the way that they're hoping for. For me, I wanted it to be something that was a discussion I hoped more people could participate in without 
being triggered or without being scared off. That was my hope from the beginning. So as I was approaching any of these scenes, that was also on my mind was how do we talk about this? How do we look at this without getting too raw, like still being realistic, still being authentic, but without getting too raw. So <laughs> all, all of those factors all at once balanced in my mind, yeah. trying to write a single scene. Well, I disagree with your people that have written you. I think you did a fantastic job. I think you said that you do lightly mention, um, but I love that it's, it's focused on her healing and moving on with life and accepting and finding happiness and not this horrible event. Like, because you can't stay there, you know, like no matter what traumatic event, like if you just stay there, you're stuck. Like, you have to move on and you have to find happiness. And I love that it was, we got to know lightly the circumstances, but that wasn't the focus. Like it was on her moving on and finding worth and happiness and realizing that she still has a life to live and a good life to live. So that makes I, me happy. Cause that I is exactly what I was it. hoping. <laughs> that, that was exactly my goal. Um, and well, like I said, part of why I wrote this book is because I wish it was the book I would have had as a teenager yes. and my teenage self needed to hear that there's hope and there's healing ahead. And you know, mm -hmm. what happened to you does not define you and you yes. can move on from it and you can have a beautiful future. That was the message that I needed. So that was the message that I chose to focus the book around. I love it. I loved your message and your focus. So well, thank you. I'll just ignore all the naysayers out there. <laughs> okay, I have one question for you. Um, one more. And it's from a fellow reader. I'm going to say her Instagram handle wrong. So I apologize to this lovely person. <laughs> um, I'm going to guess it's Ashleyster42. <laughs> I wants to know where your inspiration for the magic in the castle came from. She says she's never seen anything like it before. Aw. Well, first of all, that's so sweet that she cared enough to submit a question. <laughs> I'm really flattered. <laughs> the The castle was really fun for me to approach. Um, as I said, I didn't. I wanted to go back to the original fairy tale as much as possible when I was first approaching this story. And in the original, I, you know, it's just it's just a castle. Like it's he's a prince and he has this really lavish um, yeah. place where he lives <laughs> and they have feasts and everything. But it's a normal castle. Um, I, I always really liked that Disney put that spin where the, the whole, you know, all of the occupants of the castle are all enchanted along with the beast, yeah. but it, it brings up some concerns, which they kind of tried to address in their live action remake where it's like, right. uh, they're, they're also partly guilty because they didn't stop the prince from becoming selfish. <laughs> yep. That's, that's the reason for this. Yes. Um, no shade. I, I really enjoy the live action remake. <laughs> so I, I wanted to find something, you know, without, without doing what Disney has already done, because that story exists already. I don't need to retell it. Yeah. Um, I wanted to find my own take on a castle. And because this is a fantasy book, I mean, I wanted to have fun with it. So I thought, okay, well, you know, um, for reasons within the story, and for reasons that I worked out in the Beast Curse, I needed him to be isolated um, and to not have a bunch of servants running around. So I needed the castle to function independently. And then what's the fun in a castle with magic that's functioning independently if the magic doesn't have 
some sort of personality with it. Um, you know, like if the magic just does what it does, well, how does it do it? Um, so from there, I kind of developed different ideas. You know, maybe there's a spunky wardrobe that has some (laughs) opinions of its own and none of it, I, I didn't want any of it to approach sentience. None of this, you know, none of them are people, but I wanted there to be some fun and some personality in it. And then also because beast is the master of his castle, all of the magic within the castle reflects him in some way. It reflects some aspect of himself and anything that it does, you know, because because the idea is that he's prince, he's in charge of all of this. So anything that the magic does, it has to do at his bidding, it has to do, you know. So that was another layer to the story is that I wanted everything that happened to Beauty in the castle and everything that she experienced to be a reflection of who the beast is and what his personality is and, you know, what his traits are especially as you mentioned he's shy he doesn't he doesn't volunteer a lot of information about himself and so this was one of the ways for beauty and for readers to be able to get to know him is how does the castle act how does the magic in the castle function so those were my reasons for making the magic in the castle the way that it was i love it i loved this I don't know how to explain this. The, like, familiar feeling that the castle had, but it wasn't that, like, Lumiere's over there talking to Cogsworth. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but I did. I loved the wardrobe. And you could just, like, hear that, like, size of exasperation. I was like, I'm trying. Could you just try the dress on? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, and I mean, Beauty's a stubborn person, and it was good for her to have someone in the castle to be able to test wills against. Um, that that was also a healthy part of her growth. Um, I, it's funny you say familiar aspects and stuff. I had an early reader who was very concerned that one of beauty's first encounters at the castle is with a teacup. Um, she was concerned that that would be too much like the Disney and that people would just think that I was ripping off Disney. And I thought about it. Um, I, I put some serious thought into making it something else. And then in the end, I decided that it didn't really matter because for the time period, people are drinking tea and they're having teacups. The <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so, so in the end, I do think that it was a valid concern. I think it was worth looking at. It's just in the end, yeah. I decided that it was fine and I was going to continue. Um, but all of it, all of it is a consideration of, you know, okay, well, how much has already been done? How much has already been told? And where do I draw the line on, you know, what I want to be new and what I want to be familiar because at the heart, I always want this to, you know, be a story that if somebody loves Beauty and the Beast, they can love this book. Yeah. But I also want it to not just be everything that they've seen before. Um, this this book is very true to the original, and there's a lot of overlap. So, you know, I there have been some people who've also said this is too much overlap for me, and I totally respect that. Um, but I wanted there to at least be enough originality that I felt like it was a story worth telling. And to me, I felt like it was. Um, my publisher agreed with me. That makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree with you both. <laughs> Thank you. But it is, I mean, it. I feel like there's so much, like you said, like there's a lot familiar, but there's so much that's different and new and intriguing. I was hooked from the first paragraph when she says she's hope or that one she says she's hoping she'd be eaten I was like no like what is going on (laughs) (laughs) but I loved that there were those hints of familiarity that it 
it was a welcoming book and comfortable, but totally different and new all at the same time. So I feel like you hit an awesome mix of truth, like original and Disney and new. And it was just amazing. I loved it. (laughs) Thank you so much for saying that. That's exactly what I was going for. That was my hope. (laughs) Um, And especially for addressing a hard topic. I wanted there to be a lot of familiarity. I wanted this to feel like a safe space where a reader could feel confident that they know the story and they know that it's going to have a happy ending and that things are going to work out in the end. So along the way, you can take a little bit of risk exploring these hard things with beauty because you know that there's safety in the end. I wanted that feeling. Perfect. Okay. One one last question to kind of close this out and it's super easy. (laughs) Um, What are you currently working on? All right. Well, this is good timing because just a few (laughs) days ago, I finished up the sequel to Beauty Reborn and I I shipped it off to all of my beta readers um, and my my pairs of second eyes who will help me see where all the holes are. So that that is my current project that I'm working really hard on. Like I said, nothing's in writing. I can't guarantee that Beauty Reborn will have a sequel, but I want it to. And I have written it and we will cross our fingers that it works out. Okay, so let me see if I can phrase this in a way that's not going to give anything away. Does it, would the sequel follow the next wish? Um, yes. Yes, it would. The The sequel follows a character from the first book. So it isn't, it isn't a direct sequel being Beauty's story, but it follows a character from the first book and it follows... Um, directly from where the first book leaves off it picks right up and then moves forward um and it's a rapunzel retelling oh i'm gonna love it this is gonna be Uh, a gender swap rapunzel retelling actually okay (laughs) now i'm really intrigued so anybody at shadow mountain that's listening we need this book approved (laughs) oh thank you (laughs) and i'll have it Well, you know, they'll they'll make the call on whether it's a good book and whether it's worth releasing. And I trust their judgment. They're good at their jobs. So. <laughs> well, hopefully, hooked, so. hopefully I'm up to snuff and I've written a good book. That's what we hope for. <laughs> I bet it's amazing. And I, I will eagerly await <laughs> to see if it's coming. Good. And, hey, that's all I have for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me, Elizabeth. I have loved talking with you and learning more about this book. That's so sweet. Thank you for having me. This was a real joy. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Book Talk. I will see you again on August 10th for our next episode.